0: out to that music, that is a good theme. I'm really glad I picked that one anyway. uh so my name is Michael Smith. This is the field position Battle podcast. It is the podcast for football fans who are looking for thoughtful and insightful coverage on the game of football. uh so there was uh, a lot of stuff that went on over the past uh week where I struggled to get out my Super Bowl, if you want to call it recap episode. Uh, So this is uh, something a little different. I'm going to discuss a couple of narratives. I picked five narratives that I found that have really permeated and and really, uh, they seem to almost be general consensus at this point. And I'm just going to kind of rate how I feel about them and how fair I think that they are, that they've kind of become almost fact. So uh, without further ado... Uh, I I did mention one on my stream last night. Please, uh, you know, follow me on Twitch, twitch twitch.tv slash msmithfif that you can watch the live recording of this podcast if you're listening later, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the live recording on Twitch. You can see my other podcast, Fun Times and Flushing, about the New York Mets. And you can just see I'm on there. I was on there the other night for my first stream, and it was... I was watching Monday Night Raw, but I was talking about a bunch of sports stories that were going on, just stuff I wanted to kind of touch on, and it's just a place to hang out, and uh, it's a fun thing to do. So, uh, the one I mentioned, and it's the first one I'll do right here, Sean McVeigh clammed up again in a big game. Uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say <laughs> that this isn't fair, uh... The one caveat, though, that I would have um, in big games in the past, we've seen Sean McVay kind of clam up and be afraid to pull the trigger on, you know, and, and be that dynamic offense that we're so used to seeing from him during the regular season. To me, the reason for that in past years was he didn't fully trust Jared Goff. And then I, I just think that when it rained, it poured in Tampa Bay earlier this year. I mean, that was the one time we saw him do it with Matthew Stafford. Uh, and that was kind of out of Matthew Stafford's hands. I mean, you have the the Cam Akers fumble, and then you have the Cooper Cup fumble. And, you know, that's your best offensive player kind of letting you down. I, I, I got in that game why he sort of clammed up. Then in the Super Bowl, Odell gets hurt. Stafford throws the interception uh to on the first their first play of the second half that goes off uh Skaronic's hands and again it's sort of it when it rains it pours situation and I get where things felt different for him than they than they have felt at other times throughout his career. I get it. And I I don't want to uh kill him for that. I I, I don't think it's fair. To say that a guy who's now been to the Super Bowl twice and won it uh, before he's even really that close to the age of forty isn't a big game coach, I don't think that's that's fair. I I think the narrative about him clamming up, I, I do think we see him kind of get away from what makes him Sean McVay, and that's something that I do think he's going to have to evaluate if he decides to stick around, uh, but. If he doesn't decide to stick around, if he decides to go into broadcasting, which supposedly is on the table, uh, to me, that narrative's only going to get worse. And if he ever decides, you know what, I want to coach again, he will have no problem getting the job. It's not about that. But that narrative will be even bigger because he will have been away from the sideline for a year, two years, three years. It's, it's going to be a thing and it's not going to go away. Until he goes out there and stays aggressive in a championship conference championship game Super Bowl sort of uh, setup. That he needs to go out there in that sort of game and get the job done and be Sean McVay, call dynamic plays, you know, all the the motions and, and, and all the things that he does that makes him so special, that made him such a commodity. He needs to do those things. On the big stage and really just let loose. And so, did he clam up? Yes, he did. That is a fair thing to say. However, I just I do want to give him a little bit of a pass because at the end of the day, the final drive, he put the ball in his quarterback's hands. This was the guy he wanted. This was the guy he he said he could trust instead of Jared Goff. And he put the ball in his hands, and he trusted you know his receiver who had an all time season. And he he did it. He he just he wouldn't have had to do it then if he had done it throughout the third quarter. So Sean McVay does still have a little cleaning up to do. But did he clam up? That's a little unfair. Uh, A lot of people will stick with Sean McVay because he was a big topic of conversation coming out of this game. A lot of people are discussing: Did he run the ball too much? And this does kind of go hand in hand with. The, the first one, with him clamming up, I, I think this is fair. And I think this is fair because of kind of what I just said. He could have put this game way earlier, but he got scared off by the interception. I, I think a lot of the things that happened throughout, particularly the third quarter, be it the Scoronic interception, uh, be it uh, the trick play that they ran, which will percup through the pass to Matthew Stafford. I firmly believe that both of those plays would have been run different and would have gone differently had it been Odell Beckham on the field. You know, I I can't necessarily say that Odell would have been the one to get that pass thrown his way, not Ben Skronik. Uh But I think we've all seen Odell throw the ball enough to know that he was supposed to be the one throwing the ball to Matthew Stafford on that trick play. Does Matthew Stafford catch it? Does he pull a Tom Brady? Who knows. But these are plays that would have been run different if Odell was on the field. And what that does is that all piled up on Sean McVay. And it, it, I don't want to keep saying the phrase, clammed him up, uh, but it scared him. And he turtled up, a little different. He turtled up and he just got away from what makes him Sean McVay. And he kept running the ball. He didn't want to make mistakes. He didn't want Matthew Stafford. To make another mistake, he had already thrown two interceptions, and he got a little bit lazy almost. In he just kept running the ball on first downs. He kept, you know, going to the well, trying to establish some sort of running game. He let his defense, which really took over in the third quarter, he allowed them to keep them in the game, and he pretty much got down to his last chance, to where he finally had to say all right, I need to take the gloves off and just go for it. And it very easily could have been too late. You know, he calls a a pretty ballsy play on fourth and one on the reverse to Cooper Cup, where, you know, if they don't get that and and, and Burrow finds Chase in the end zone and the Bengals go up 10, the game's over. And again, we're having this conversation about Sean McVay underachieving at a Super Bowl. So I, I just... He waited until the very last minute to stop running the ball, and it just, it really could have came back to bite him, so I i do think he got very run heavy, and I do think that that narrative was very fair. Uh, another thing, and, and this kind of looks at the Rams as a whole, you know, I mentioned Odell Beckham, I mentioned Matthew Stafford, uh, I haven't mentioned Jalen Ramsey, who did not have a very good game in this game, but uh, he has a ring nonetheless. And all those guys, well, not necessarily Odell, but at least Stafford and Ramsey were acquired by the Rams trading a lot of draft capital to get them. The Rams traded a ton of draft capital for those two guys. They traded draft capital for Von Miller. They have essentially punted the next decade of drafts for this game, for this Super Bowl. And it was a close game. And they almost came out on the wrong side, but they won. And there's been a lot of discussion on will this lead to more teams doing this? Will this lead to more teams following this blueprint saying, you know what? We're a quarterback away. We're, you know, an offensive weapon away. We're a cornerback, pass rusher. We're we're one or two big players away. We got draft picks. Let's use them. uh." I I think I think the the thing that makes it tough, the thing that makes it um tough tough to duplicate is that we haven't seen a ton of movement in the NFL with players like these guys of this caliber. You know, Von Miller is a Hall of Famer. Jalen Ramsey's an excellent defensive back. Matthew Stafford, for my money, is a Hall of Famer. We don't usually see movement of guys like that in the NFL. You know, that's not common. But on the flip side, it's kind of becoming more common. I mean, over the past couple of years, we've seen Tom Brady switch teams, uh, Matthew Stafford. We're looking at potentially having this offseason Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Derek Carr, uh, like multiple guys switch teams. And shake up divisions, possibly shake up conferences, and 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 shake up the entire league. So, if that trend continues, if there keeps being like really good available players, you know, it, whether it be in the off season or during the season, you know, if d- disgruntled players can get out of situations via trade, I think that's something that a lot of teams have to explore. Of how can we take advantage of this with our draft cap with, uh, with our draft capital? How can we win a Super Bowl? Because that's what it comes down to. When the Rams are bad in six, seven years, and you know, they're looking at it and saying, oh my god, we have no draft picks. Perhaps those front office guys, because they'll probably be different ones, like, perhaps they'll be like, oh no. <laughs> How are we gonna get at it? It's, this is terrible. But the fans, however many of them there are, are going to look back on February 13th, 2022 and say, you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it. And they're going to think back to the parade. And they're just going to think about all the good times that they had with this year's Rams. Say it was worth it. They got that Super Bowl. They got that Super Bowl. And they have a chance for more. You know, If Aaron Donald comes back, if Sean McVay comes back, you know, they can keep this thing going and they have a shot to add on and, and win a second Super Bowl, you know, with this group. But even if they don't, if they just end this group with the one, it was worth it. And that's where the, you know, other teams are going to have to look at it and say, you know, it's a gamble. It's a gamble because if you mortgage your entire future and don't win, that's as big a disaster as you can find yourself in. If the Rams lost this game, you might never see a GM trade a draft pick ever again. It just might never happen because they're just, they look at them with such reverence and as though there, there's nothing more important than an NFL draft pick. And, and if this hadn't worked, if they hadn't won the Super Bowl, I I don't know that they, that they ever could have gotten up from it. You know, that, The the people running this team might have never gotten up from that, and Sean McVay might have been in that group. So I've seen people say that this could be the blueprint. This could be the way that teams win in the future. And I just I don't I don't see it because you need to guarantee the title. If you don't get the title, like there's a lot of situations in sports where you know you look at you make a trade and. You trade away like a couple draft picks, one or two, you know a top prospect in baseball, and you go to the World Series, you go to the Super Bowl, but you don't win it, and it's worth it because you made the one big trade, you went for it, and it maybe put you over the top, and it got you to the dance. you just you couldn't win it. It's worth it. but when you trade every pick, <laughs> like the Rams did, and you got nothing to build off. That's where, yeah, that's – you have to win. You, you, you cannot lose. And this was their second time during the Super Bowl. They could not lose this game. And I just don't see other teams, other GMs, other owners even allowing their franchises to be put in the situation that the Rams were in in the Super Bowl. So I, I think it is not fair to say that this is going to set a blueprint for teams to follow in the future. I just, I don't see most GMs in the league being willing to take the risks that the Rams did. Uh, The officiating in Super Bowl 56, uh, I thought was good. Um, I did see a lot of people complaining uh, about the final drive. And I think that's where they had their biggest... Um, I don't know if I would say mess ups, but like that, the final drive was where things got weird for the officiating crew in the Super Bowl. The T. Higgins touchdown to start the second half was uh, a bad look. It was uh, a call they cannot miss. Obviously, a massive play could have won the game for the Bengals. However, it it just really comes down to that last drive where. They weren't throwing flags all game. They were letting these guys play. It was really fun. It was really entertaining. It was the kind of Super Bowl you want to see. Like, it, it took me a minute going into, like, deep in the second quarter where somebody mentioned, that, either Al or Chris, that there wasn't a ton of penalties so far in this game. And we weren't hearing much from the officiating crew. And all of a sudden you realize, like, oh, yeah, I've barely heard the ref speak all game after the coin toss which is great. That's exactly what you want as a fan, obviously. But then on that last drive, they, they could not, not throw flags. And there was a lot of talk about the holding and people were saying, well, it cancels out the pass interference that wasn't called. And I get that. And that's fair. Uh, but if you look further into that play, the entire offensive line jumps, you know, and false starts and thus that play never should happen. Uh, There's the, it just felt like, I don't want to run down every play. It just felt like the Rams were in the red zone for like 20 minutes real time. And they weren't, but it felt that way because they just kept getting like holding first down, pass interference first down. Like it was wild to watch after the officiating crew was kind of just hanging in the background all the game. So, uh, I, was, I've, I felt like I was sitting there the whole time saying, oh, this officiating crew has been great. like They haven't been making a ton of noise. And there hasn't been a ton of times where we've been looking at a replay saying, they should have called a penalty on this play. There was the one, the one obvious one. But other than that, th- there wasn't really much to complain about. And that was great. And then it just, it was that last drive. So the officiating crew not covering themselves in glory is a fair take. The final one I'm going to touch on, uh, I do have to hit a Bengals one, of course. A lot of people are comparing Joe Burrow to Dan Marie. And Dan got there early in his career and he lost. And there was a, a lot of, the you know, he'll be back. And he just, he never got back. He never got back. And it's wild to think of that happening to Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow had an amazing Joe Burrow fully deserves to be in the second tier quarterback discussion. One more good year, and he will fully deserve to be in the top tier with Mahomes and Allen and Aaron Rodgers. But he's he's on track to be a top-notch quarterback in this league for a long time. And I don't think it's fair to sit here and say, you know, to start focusing on on this. Will he be back? You know, oh, he'll definitely be back. Oh, he'll, he'll never get back. But to me, when I look at Joe Burrow, when I watch his career, what he's done over the years, what he's done in Louisiana at LSU, and now in Cincinnati, and turning around a franchise that hadn't won a Super Bowl in, uh, had, forget Super Bowl, hadn't won a playoff game in years, like since before like cell phones were invented, like like, a, like crazy long time. They hadn't won a playoff game, and he took them to a Super Bowl in his second year after they were a four-win team last year. That's different. That's Joe Burrow just being different. What he did at LSU, betting on himself, leaving Ohio State, which couldn't have been an easy decision for an Ohio kid, going to play for the Tigers, to play for Ed run, and winning a national championship with Jamar Chase, I just, he's got a tough road ahead of him every year with Mahomes, every year with Josh Allen, he's going to have to go through at least one, if not both of them, if he wants to get back to a Super Bowl. I just don't see how he doesn't do it. You know, like a lot of people are counting him out because of that, because of that gauntlet that he's going to have to run. And it's not ever going to be easy. But I I just have to believe that he's going to do it because he's Joe Burrow and he does amazing things. And he is an really, really good quarterback, and he's a winner. He will smoke a cigar again on his way to the Super Bowl. The trick is going to be smoking the cigar after the Super Bowl, you know, as they size him for the ring. That's going to be the trick. So Joe Burrow is Dan Marino, and he'll never go back to the Super Bowl. Not a fair take. So those are, you know, the the narratives that I've seen or some of the narratives I've seen floating out around this game in the, the aftermath of the Super Bowl and that's just kind of my take on how fair they are and what's, you know, just sports talk and, and and you want to call it like the first takeification of sports talk and people want to get a thought out that's going to make news. But sometimes, you know, making news and making headlines doesn't always make you right. So that's, you know, just my thought on some of the Super Bowl stuff. I do I don't want to talk about Aaron Rodgers, but I'm gonna, Um, because Aaron Rodgers, despite what he says, wants me to talk about Aaron Rodgers, wants you to talk about Aaron Rodgers, wants Mina Kimes and Dan Orlovsky and Emmanuel Acho and Colin Cowherd, and he wants all these people to talk about Aaron Rodgers. That's what he wants. That's what he thrives on. You can think what you want about the vaccine. You can think what you want about the media. You can think what you want about the things Aaron Rodgers says, but don't mistake the meaning behind them. If he didn't want people to talk about him, he wouldn't go on the Pat McAfee show every week. He wouldn't go. And and, I mean, for a couple of weeks there, the Pat McAfee show interview was you know, vaccine talk with Aaron Rodgers. But then he had to tell everybody that he was being silenced and he wasn't allowed to talk about the vaccine. Okay, you're not being silenced. You're being given a major platform and everybody is listening to what you have to say every week. They may not like it. They may think you're stupid, but you're not being silenced. At no point throughout all of this has Aaron Rodgers ever been silenced. I wish he had been because he like Constantly embarrasses himself if he wasn't somebody that was so good at throwing a football. I, I think people would be like, Who is this clown and why doesn't he ever stop talking? You know, like he, he's and then he, he posts on Instagram last night and it's very clearly hinting at he's either done in Green Bay or he's done in the NFL, which is something that has been lingering for years now. Was a huge topic of conversation last year, not out of the realm of possibility that he could retire. Or that he could be asking out of Green Bay. And then he goes on Pat McAfee today and says, well, how is it cryptic? Why did people take it this way? Why do people always have to talk about everything I'm doing? If you didn't want people to read it, if you didn't want people to talk about it, you wouldn't post it on Instagram. And I've just had enough with this guy constantly being in the news and then complaining that people won't stop talking about him. You keep making headlines about yourself, you keep doing this and you're doing it on purpose. You would be embarrassed if people weren't talking about you for some unknown reason. And, and like, I, I, I I just think he thinks he's better than everybody else and he is smarter than everybody else. And that's certainly the way he speaks is like, he's smarter than everybody else. And I've just had enough Of Aaron Rodgers. And like I said, he's in that top tier. He's there with Mahomes and Allen. If he, you know, was available to my team, the only teams that shouldn't take him are the Chiefs and the Bills. Probably the Bengals because Burrow's so young. But that's it. Every other team in the NFL should jump at the chance to get this guy. That's how good he is. But you better have good leadership, you better have good leadership in that room. You better have somebody that can go to your wide receivers and go to, you know, whoever on the team, your rookies, your young guys, and say, you don't always have to talk like he does. You don't always have to be making a different headline. You don't always have to be posting on Instagram and then complaining that people won't stop talking. You know what you're doing, Aaron. You know what you're doing, and it's, it's, God bless you, you're... As talented a thrower of the football as I've ever seen. You're a damn good quarterback. You're crazy athletic. I'm like legitimately love watching you play because you're so damn good and you're so different from everybody that ever came before you. And now the young guys, the Mahomes and the Allens are trying to do what you've done. But you are not the originator. There, There have been guys. But with the longevity that you've done it, it's unbelievable. It's a slam dunk lock first ballot Hall of Fame career. And that's great. But all this stuff, this stuff that's only really started in the past year, this stuff's come out of nowhere. This is like, I, I don't get it. I didn't, never took you for a guy that would make it all about yourself. I, I, I. I would think with the way things ended with Brett Favre and Green Bay that you would want to do the opposite, but I guess you just wanted to follow in his footsteps. So do what you got to do, Aaron, but just stop playing the victim. Stop playing. And that's all I have on that. Uh, there's going to be plenty more Aaron Rodgers talk. There's going to be plenty more uh, talk of the fallout of the Super Bowl. have draft coverage soon. We're going to, you know, the draft is only, what now? Two months away, less free agency is going to be starting soon. The franchise tag, uh, that like window started today, so there's that. Uh, there's going to be a lot of football news. It's going to be a lot of off season football talk, ranking teams, ranking players, having fun with all that stuff. So I'm looking forward to doing that this off season with you. Uh, be sure to check out. Next week's Twitch stream, I'm going to be doing this every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Again, that is twitch.tv slash msmithfif. That link is going to be in the podcast description if you're listening later. So be sure to go click that link. Hit the follow button on my Twitch channel. If you're on Twitch, go to your podcasting (laughs) and hit the follow or the subscribe button. So if you can't make it Tuesday night, you can make sure to catch the episode regardless. That's it for the field position battle this week. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so so much for listening. This is Michael Smith, and I will talk to you later.